Hangs for the memories. I am your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about Charlie Wilson's War, uh, based on a book with a very, very long title, uh, which I will find in a moment. Uh, it was released on the 21st of September 2007, uh, right in the firing line of Oscar bait season. Uh, it did get some nominations, which we can talk about later on. It was not a success at the box office. Uh, it barely made forty million more than its budget, which, considering its budget was like seventy something, uh, that's not good. Uh, basically, you could—I guess you could technically say it's a box office bomb. Um, you know, probably the first one that Tom has had in a while. Um, you know, probably—I don't know—probably since that thing you do. I think that was the last film that he made that didn't make any money. Um, it was, of course, written by Aaron Sorkin, and it was the final film directed by Mike Nichols. Uh, and joining me to talk about today, I have Andy Nelson. Hello, Andy. Why, hello there. And I have Philip Mataz. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah, so like, you know, obviously, Charlie Wilson is a real person. Uh, Tom Hanks, for some reason, uh, as the as the, the new decade appeared, he uh, he got a yen for playing real people. And once that bug bit him, he kind of just didn't stop doing it. And, you know, if there was a real life story, then, you know, Charlie Wilson, uh, real, real person. So obviously that's how you get Tom Hanks on board these days. You know, if you want to if you want to get him to do a script, write it about somebody real and and he'll be there. Um, It was Charlie Wilson's war, the extraordinary story of the longest covert operation in history. Uh, I think is the full title of the book. I think there was then, a later edition which yeah. added more words. Yeah, right. once once the film came out, they kind of republished it and added a bit more stuff. Made it, it sound a little wilder. It was the extraordinary story of how the wildest man in Congress and a rogue CIA agent <laughs> changed the history of our times. Yeah, they yeah they they should should the title up a bit so people were like, oh, this sounds exciting. <laughs> uh, when it's mostly about uh, you know budget reconciliation and appropriation of funds for military stuff, which uh, you know. I, that's what most of this film is as well <laughs> so, um you know uh, but we can get into it i saw this film on uh, as this episode goes up it will be um i'm not very good with maths uh, i i mean i do you know what? i keep thinking it's 2021 it's not it's 2022 so what 14 years ago 2008 uh, 13th of january um and you know of course the funny thing is this you know the war depicted in this lasted roughly 8 years and this film came out you know six years into the war on terror and only last year did the war on terror finally finish them. <laughs> uh you, you know this film feels a little i mean we could talk about it later but it kind of alludes to the fact that part of this you know was you know kind of contributed towards what ends up being the war on terror um in a roundabout way and, and you know it's it, it's pretty it, i mean I, what i find is interesting is that it's produced by uh, a, a company called participant and they are known for doing like films that have a specific like message in them. Uh, it was founded by an eBay employee, the second ever eBay employee. So obviously somebody who made 
a lot of money and decided to start investing in films and that was started in 2004 as was the company Relativity which also uh, co-produces this with Universal. Uh, They actually went out of business in 2015 and I think this is one of the first times where we get to see the Playtone uh, like spinning record uh, logo before a film. Hmm. Um, You know I think obviously Playtone have produced a couple of films before this but you know this is the, the kind of debut of that new logo. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I mean, normally it would be a given that Andy would have seen this on opening day, um, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, uh, you know, a, after the nineties, I'm not sure that your interest in Tom Hanks films would remain the same. So I don't know when you did you see this at the cinema? I did uh, within I did yeah, and within I, the, that December. I, I mean, I would guess it was opening weekend. Um, you know, I I can't completely say that, but my hunch is it probably was. Um, I'd, I'd have to look it's you know when it gets into that uh, holiday release schedule uh, and like you know five incredible movies are coming out each weekend uh, it's kind of tricky to kind of like pick which one I want to see that weekend or maybe two or whatever so uh, I might have held out um, you know a week on this one I don't know somewhere somewhere in that last couple weeks of December though yeah and Philip did you see this one at the cinema or uh, absolutely not I no. <laughs> I I have a vague memory of watching it uh, rented somewhere. Um, whether that was, I guess this is around the time of Netflix being around, so I might have gotten it that way, uh, or I might have actually gone to a physical store. It's hard to tell. Um, but I but I only saw it at home. Yeah, uh, I I mean I saw it at the cinema two thousand eight, and then today is the second time that I saw the film. I haven't. <laughs> I've never read. I mean, it's funny because I think like, uh, well, the, I mean, the film that I saw directly bef- like right before this was No Country for Old Men. Um, and I, I I think a couple of weeks later, I saw a film called In the Valley of Ella, which, you know, had um, Tommy Lee Jones, Jones in. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think in 2008, 2007, around that time, I also saw like Rendition. And, you know, there was this kind of slew of films that were kind of about the war on terror, but kind of not about the war on terror. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like they didn't use any real names and they weren't really based on anything that really happened. And, you know, they kind of. I don't know. They, they, it felt like they were kind of very vague. And this, again, like, you know, when the script was written for this, you know, it had a lot more references directly to, like, to 9-11, to the point where, um, you know, the character that's played by Julia Roberts, apparently she read the script and Charlie Wilson also read the script and they were both, like, horrified at the idea <laughs> that, you know, that the Mujahideen later becomes, obviously, the Taliban and then, you know, that becomes, you know, the war in Afghanistan, which... Were they? T- I mean, for decades, and stuff, isn't so. that? But isn't that a fact? Yes, I mean, I get why yeah. they'd be terrified, but I mean, like, shouldn't you be terrified already? <laughs> Not like you yeah, wrote I- this into our movie. It was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, we we got the idea from this crazy thing called history. Yeah, I well, I mean, I think that's funny because yeah, like they, obvi- you know, both of them by the time you know, I mean, uh, I think uh, Julia Roberts' character uh, Joanna Herring is still alive. Um, Charlie Wilson made it he had a heart attack a few weeks before the premiere he made it to the premiere because he had a a heart transplant um, but he died a couple of years after that Mm. Um, and I think the same am I remembering is Gus dead there's so many people in this film who were were dead Gus did die um, 05 so before this came out yeah so uh, you know I th- I think that yeah well that's obviously why he didn't read the script yeah. <laughs> because he was dead yeah so I th- I think of you know uh, I I mean 
People have varying opinions about Aaron Sorkin. I enjoy The West Wing. I've watched it through many, many times. And obviously I did a minute-by-minute podcast about Social Network. So I enjoyed his screenplay of that. Um, you know, so... And I think, you know, the the end... The kind of the, we can talk about it more once we get there. But I think the changed ending where it's more you know ominous that that they've 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 defeated the russians you know the you know the iron curtain has fallen but some people are a bit more short-sighted and just like you know that's it we're out of we're out of this country we're not going to get involved mm-hmm. obviously knowing what happened later on for 18 19 years it, there's a certain level of irony in those statements um which i don't think were fully kind of apparent you know in in kind of 2006 2007 when the film was being made but obviously now you know kind of the the never the long never-ending involvement in afghanistan you know is a completely different issue um and like i said you know this film is mostly about trying to raise money to get weapons uh to what becomes the mujahideen and you know obviously uh the, the kind of the, the the kind of funding issues and you know the kind of ins and outs of dc and i think obviously that's more where aaron sorkin's focus is um and i th- i think as well like in the opening scene where they're talking about oh it's like it's like dallas but it's set in dc and they keep saying that over and over again and i have to feel that that's meant to be like a slight allusion to the west wing <laughs> uh yeah, more right. than anything else you know because i don't think there's, there was ever a tv show in the 80s that was like dallas but set in dc um but yeah i mean you know that like the, the kind of the real people involved in this are kind of interesting you know charlie wilson a, a, you know a democrat in texas uh, in a district which, you know, technically speaking now, is represented by Dan Crenshaw, who is a lunatic, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, one time, you know, a member of SNL insulted him for having one eye and, you know, all of a sudden that gave him some national profile. But because of the way the districts have been redrawn, I think, technically speaking, the representation that Charlie Wilson had is now the eighth district rather than the second. And there's a whole bunch of complicated stuff behind that. But, you know... He was a real, you know, obviously a real life person, a real Democrat. And, you know, he was very much as depicted here, like constantly drinking and womanizing and, you know, everything that's kind of like there was a, a funny line that I read where people, you know, someone had asked him about, you know, is everything in the script real? And he said, well, anything that I wanted to challenge was easily provable. So, <laughs> so you know, he didn't bother trying to ask them to take anything out that he felt was kind of too close to the bone because most of that was the stuff that was actually true. Um, you know, one thing that isn't true is that his main aide was was a woman. He his the main guy in his office was another guy called Charlie. Uh, the character played by Amy Adams is just completely fabricated. You know, it's just it's just a you know somebody. You know, I can, so they, so they I can, can almost cast see, Amy Adams basically. I can yeah, I can almost see that for a number of reasons. Not not the least of which being, hey, we can cast Amy Adams for this. Um, but number two, it almost seems like a writing thing to be like, I don't want two characters named Charlie. Like, that's just gonna get yeah. way too confused everybody's gonna be like who's talking and and so i get it from that point or you completely play it as a joke and you have it that people are constantly saying charlie in the office and right. confusing the which who's they're, who they're meant to be addressing up, huh? it to yeah 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 but they made it easier and they just changed it to amy adams and uh yeah so i mean again gust af i mean someone calls me gus avocados at one point and i feel that's almost <laughs> easier to say um, Africostos? Africostos? Oh, I think it's Avocados. I mean, it's pretty close to Af- Avocado. It's yeah, a- I think it Avocados. is. Yeah. Yeah. Avocados, yes. Um, you know, he obviously was a real CIA operative. There is a funny scene where he kind of talks that he's, he says that he's from the Department of Agriculture, in particular, you know, like Apple imports yeah. and stuff. So, you know, obviously the idea that the CIA kind of cover things up um you know it's kind of interesting this is the final film for, for mike nichols yeah uh, yeah you know 
which I uh, it's really weird because whenever I like I think about who Tom Hanks has worked with as directors and obviously you know we've just had a long run of films where he's you know worked with Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis and all these other people and then the fact that he kind of he finally manages to work with Mike Nichols who's been directing stuff since the 60s I don't know, since bef- 60s. yeah since before Tom Hanks was born almost and um you know it's it's kind of interesting that he like this is how he finished um uh, he he did get uh, in his lifetime though the EGOT. He managed to get the the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, uh, which you know shows how good he is. Uh, you know, I before this I think I'd seen uh, Primary Colors, and obviously I love Working Girl. Um, so it seems like like every ten years I check in with uh, Mike Nichols. Uh, it's like two thousand eight, nineteen ninety eight, and nineteen eighty eight. Um, and I think I've seen Catch-22, like, once. Well, if you haven't seen Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or The Graduate, then you're definitely missing out. Those are... Oh, no, I definitely I definitely saw The, I definitely saw the Graduate. Okay. Again, it seems like at once once a decade I check in with him. He also um, seems like he also seems like one of those directors. Like, I was surprised... I'd forgotten that he directed this, so I was surprised to learn that he did. And, and he's one of those guys who I know his name, but I don't know his style necessarily. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. You know, he kind of rolls into the the story as the best way to tell the story. You know, it's like, oh, this one we're going to be like a little stylish. This one we're going to be a little funny. This one we're going to be like that. So I, I appreciate that about him, that he can kind of slide in and take it for what it is rather than saying, I got to put that Nichols touch on. <laughs> yeah, uh, which isn't a bad thing. Like, no, you know, no, I mean, not at all. I, I don't think anyone would watch like Working Girl or Primary Colors and kind of think they were the same director. That's why that's why it came know, up just, was when I was reminding myself of of his catalog. I was like, oh, he did the, but I wouldn't have thought that looks just like okay, great. Yeah. I mean, really, those are just movies. Yeah, it's really like a character thing that I always think of with him is how he directs his actors, and I mean, mm. I, I think that he usually because I, I don't think all of his films are great, especially no. like later in his career. I feel like um, his films just became fairly standard Hollywood stuff, nothing too exciting, not compared to like how he started in the, in the 60s. I mean, just such right, great right. projects. By the time he's here, it's like, meh. But I love how he directs his actors and he, he you know, especially working with Sorkin. I mean, I mean, there are some scenes in this film between um, Hanks and Philip Seymour Hoffman that just sizzle because the way that those yeah. two characters are coming at each other, it's just, it's a thrill. And so that's what I that's for me that's what i always think about mike nichols like there's not a necessarily a visual signature or anything but right. i i walk into it knowing i'm gonna get good performances that's a pretty good project. legacy yeah right oh, yeah. i mean i mean not for nothing but i was just as you're listing off the credits i was almost then taking back the compliment and we were like how hard would it really be to take an aaron sorkin script with tom hanks and philip seymour hoffman to make an interesting scene but yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, it does take something to wrangle all those things and make it cohesive and bring those people, you know, either to check their egos or bring enough of it and and to level it all out. And, and yeah, he he's he had a real knack for that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, he also had some very big flops. I mean, what planet are you from with Gary Chandling, which, you know, was yeah. in production for a couple of years and ended up being a complete disaster. Um, but I also remember watching uh, Biloxi Blues when I was younger and really enjoying that. But again, I wouldn't really have associated that with it, with it being like a Mike Nichols film because mm-hmm. obviously it's more about the screenplay for that one. Yeah, it's a Neil Simon um, thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, it's about his like life in the yeah. army, wasn't it? In the yeah. So it you know it's very, like that kind of 
uh, personal story. But you know, work. I mean, if all he'd done in his entire life had directed like The Graduate and like, you know, Working Girl and Virginia you know, Woolf, yeah, and 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 that's it, and nothing else, it would still be a brilliant career. Yeah, pretty good. And you know, I mean, I I I think Primary Colors has probably aged badly, but. Uh, you know, there's some there's some good ed- energy in that film that I quite enjoy. Yeah. The Birdcage is fun. Um, that's a that's a fun uh, yeah you know, remake of the you original. Know, I mean, it's kind of it's just always kind of weird that this is his last <laughs> film. Um, yeah, it's not not to say he stopped working. I mean, he it was oh, I no. think seven years mm-hmm. later. But I mean, I think he largely went into like TV and back into theater after this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and of course he also gifted us with possibly the greatest tagline on any film poster that ever existed, which is the Day of the Dolphin, where it says unwittingly. He trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States. Um, <laughs> I mean, if nothing, it, if nothing says legacy, it's got to be that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, unwittingly, is, you know, that, I hear he unwitt- put that on his tombstone too. <laughs> should we add unwittingly, or should we leave it to spoil? No, you know what? I want him to feel sympathetic. We should put unwittingly on there, so everybody feels really yeah. tense. If if someone's training someone so a dolphin to kill the president, they can't do it on purpose. That would we never get. No, this sympathy. is a legal. This is a legal thing because otherwise, the Secret Service investigates you. For yeah. different reasons, right? It's got to be unwittingly. Uh, yeah. Interestingly, I wrote it on the poster. <laughs> interestingly, uh, Mike Nichols was born e- Igor uh, Pachowski, um, and then obviously, uh, you know, he was actually born in Germany. Uh, you know, changed his changed his name. You know, obviously, t- when when he became a performer, uh, as was the trend in those days. I feel like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger managed to kind of reverse that, where people were just like, if you've got a weird name, just stick with it, <laughs> and you know, maybe everybody will know you and elect you governor. Um, <laughs> of note, we should say we should say that the Charlie's Angels, which appear in this, they are, that was real. He did hire mostly, uh, you know, busty young women to, um, you know, work for him. So let's jump in. Uh, We actually obviously have some bookends where we see that uh, Charlie Wilson is being awarded by the CIA for, I don't know, ending communism. Um, You know, uh, his... (laughs) Unwittingly, he... Yeah, unwittingly. (laughs) Yeah, so he's obviously been honoured for his part, and it's a big deal is made about how this is not a thing that normally happens with the CIA. They don't normally give out stuff. Um, you know, obviously this whole thing has got to be secret. Although there is a lot of people there, and yeah. at least one of them is just a general civilian. So, you know, the, the clandestine services are obviously you know they're they're fine with people knowing that someone's been given an award. <laughs> um, we will obviously return to that later on. But then we are, I, I mean. I'm guessing, you know, Tom was yearning for the days of uh, Turner and Hooch, where he gets to start a film uh, wearing relatively little. And obviously we join him in the hot tub um, with a guy who's pitching a TV show, which he keeps saying is like Dallas, but in D.C. And he's talking to a a Playboy cover girl. I don't think she's meant to be a playmate. I think she's meant to just be somebody who took part in a a thing for the cover. Um, And then a couple of other naked women who are kind of excited to meet a, a congressman, which, I mean, that rings false to me. But okay, you know, we'll go along so with They it. kind Charlie... of get excited that, that they find out that he is, right? They don't believe him at first. Yeah. Yeah. I... They're charmed by him already, and then they find that out. They're like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's an elected official. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they... they their attention is drawn to him because obviously, he, even though he's in this hot tub with three naked women... Uh, and a naked guy, so he, you know he's not. You know he's cool with it. He's not bothered. Naked. Yeah, um, he's naked too. Yeah, they're all naked. Yeah. Oh, it's a bunch of naked. Yeah, everyone is naked. 
Yeah, um, it, it follows that rule that I can't remember where I heard it, but there's a podcast that said if you get like nudity within the first 10 minutes, no one's going to be naked for the rest of that film. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> and we get a lot of nudity in the opening five minutes of this film. And then aside from later on when Tom Hanks is in the bathtub once more, uh, there's very little nudity going yeah. on uh, after that. Um, so, yeah, but I but obviously to, to, so that we know he's a serious person, he asks that they, you know, he what he, he's watching the TV in this Las Vegas suite whilst in a hot tub with three naked women. But his his focus is still on the news on the TV. And he wants to know why Dan Rather is dressed like that, which I thought is, you know, an interesting way. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this, uh, what I like is we, you know, the scene is set with some Barry White um, and we're given the exact date, which is the April 6th, 1980. Um, you know, so we, we kind of get a very clear idea of where we are. And, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, that like his interest in this is only kind of peripheral. Like he's just curious as to why Dan Rather is, you know, right. in Afghanistan and he's dressed with, dressed you know, with a flak the, yeah. jacket, wearing a turban. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing that kind of piques his interest, um, you know, as he kind of as we say like these women are asked they're kind of interested because like literally everybody else at the party most of them there seem to be a bunch of people just passed out on the floor mm-hmm. uh and obviously they are doing cocaine and he is all he's doing is drinking whiskey um you know he's not he's not getting involved in anything else something which will become a you know an issue throughout the rest of the film um but yeah so i you know i like that we we get introduced to charlie wilson who apparently was like this he was very much like a party guy you know he represented a district that had no real concerns <laughs> so he just kind of <laughs> took advantage and was just like you know spending his weekends in las vegas and you know just kind of uh, you know living it up um, it's interesting i, I was going to i was going to say this opening scene is sort of interesting in that we do kind of get like maybe not on Charlie's side, but we're kind of with him for a couple reasons. Not the least of which being it's Tom Hanks. Like, that buys a lot of audience, you know, yeah. participation or investment. But then it, it there is something sort of endearing, and this is something I think they did a lot on the West Wing, frankly, which was to make it, like, something endearing about a guy or a person who takes his political job seriously. Even if in that moment he's not really, just like like you say, he's he's in a hot tub with a bunch of naked people, but he is interested in this and we know he's a congressman, so it's like, oh, he should be interested in this. This affects the world and we have hindsight to go into it. So it's it's just a I I just kind of appreciated the economics of that to be like, oh, here's here's our hero, ladies and gentlemen. Well, it plays the the politician perfectly right it's a person yeah. who who can party with the quote best of them uh, <laughs> who's totally fine like hanging out naked with with party girls and everything and clearly is having a good time while taking his job seriously and even when he admits that he's a, a congressman he can he can spin it all of the conversation in a way where even that is is something that they find endearing and so right. he's always finding a way to uh, to get on people's good sides and yeah. and, and stay real, uh, you know, uh, keep things going so people don't go, oh, okay, that's interesting, huh? There's there's something appealing about somebody being good at their job. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know what it is, but sometimes it's like, oh, that person knows what he's doing. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we enjoy competence. Yeah, and also 
uh, Tom Hanks's buttocks. Uh, you know, making an appearance, I think, for the first time since Castaway. Man. Um, I, yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's still looking in good shape. And I will say this. Having seen pictures... I mean, I don't know if it's just on Wikipedia, but the, the kind of congressional picture that is there for... Uh, the real Charlie Wilson he's a more attractive man than Tom Hanks (laughs) just I don't know if it's just the picture or whatever but like Tom Hanks he's a good kind of representation of him but Charlie Wilson was an attractive man yeah he was probably also what kind of kind of helped him along as well um you know uh we find out a bit more about his kind of i mean he, as well like he obviously he's you know talking with everyone saying he's got to go back to uh you know for a vote to dc he's reluctantly leaving las vegas he's saying goodbye to everybody who's with him in the hot tub um and when he returns home he finds out that he's going to be put on the ethics committee um and he does make a joke about how like he's somebody who has literally no ethics and no interest in ethics and he does need representation on that committee um and i did like the kind of I get. I mean, this is like the walk and talk stuff. This is what Aaron Sorkin obviously was known for yeah. on West Wing. Uh, there's not so that, much walking. That was you know, the. More... But this was the first scene. I, I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the movie doesn't even start with, like, directed by, written by. It kind no, of just goes no. into it. No. And we this do. was the part yeah. that I had to remind myself. I like. I was like, hold on, we're in a hallway. Just a second. Politics hallway. Ah, it's Aaron, <laughs> Aaron Sorkin, you magnificent bastard. There you are. <laughs> yeah. I also like that the negotiation for like this position, you know, he's like he, he'll he'll take the post, but he needs something back, you know. And they're like, well, what do you want? And it's like, I want to be on the the board of the Kennedy Center, yeah, because I keep trying to take dates there and I can't get any tickets. <laughs> like, <laughs> so again, it's like, of course, you know, that's the kind of politician. Like he's exploiting the system, but he's not exploiting it for you know money or gain or anything. Well, it's just it, so that he's got a good place to take dates. And it sets up. It's like a sneaky, clever setup of later events where he talks about how he has a lot of favors owed to him. He has yeah. a lot of IOUs. More, yeah. more than any other. Uh, more than any other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once we get into his office, we see Charlie's Angels uh, played by uh, two actresses who aren't super famous. Uh, Wynne Everett, who later turned up on the newsroom. So she must have enjoyed working with Aaron Sorkin. Uh, Mary Bonabaker, who has done a lot of TV stuff. Um, Rachel Nichols, who would later be playing the role of Scarlet in the G.I. Joe film, I think the following year after this. Um, and Shiri Appleby, whose character is called Jailbait. And I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the funny, th- the funny thing is later on, she's she's kind of called by the nickname Bait. Like when she comes in, he says, hey, Bait. Like, so I, I don't know. She's, she seems fully accepting of it. She actually is kind of the more prominent of... Uh, the Charlie's Angels mm. in the office. She's the one who actually gets to say stuff. Obviously, Shiri Appleby had done, I don't know, four years on Roswell before this. Mm. Um, you know, she, she was kind of well-known. I think it was the year after this that she did like a guest appearance on Girls where she played uh, Adam Driver's uh, girlfriend, rebound girlfriend, I would say, um, where he did an act that shocked many people. Um, <laughs> rebound is not so, a better nickname either. No. Uh, (laughs) So, but what I find, obviously, you know, a real quote from Charlie Wilson is here where he says, you know, like, because we have, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the actor, but he he plays the judge in The Wire who kind of, uh, you know, sets everything off. Um, I think Geggerty is his name. Peter Geggerty, is that the name? Um, And he's there, you know, obviously to see him about a specific, you know, issue playing uh, Larry Little. Um, a name that you know Charlie will forget himself once he's <laughs> once he's got him in the office, um, and he you know he notices that these you know these women are there, and obviously they you know they they say to him, well Charlie says oh, you, you can teach him to type, but you can't teach him to grow tits. 
And apparently that was a real quote from Charlie Wilson that he said on several occasions. Oh, yes. um, so, yeah. But I mean, I, what I find funny about this is obviously later on they are used for comedy once once we actually get our, you know, our two main actors meeting each other. Um, but, I, you know, they're not they're not shown as being like incompetent or anything like they're not just there for their looks. They are like, you know, when we see them later on, they you know, they're obviously they know what they're doing at their job, in particular, Shiri Appleby. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's interesting. Again, they're, they're portrayed as being competent rather than just eye candy, um, you know, and obviously the case that concerns Peter Gegarty appearing as Larry Little uh, is one about, uh, you know, the putting up of a nativity on uh, government property. And I like how this is handled because obviously, you know, when he comes into the office, he, he's, you know, he says for $5,000, you know, he goes once a year, you can call me Charlie. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, he's he's willing to kind of meet for people, you know, for favours. Um, but when when Larry Little kind of tries to push the point and, you know, he says, well, you know, there's like 38 churches. Just move it from the fire station to one of those churches. The issue goes away. Like, you don't need to fight the ACLU on this thing. You know, it's just like it's just an easy thing to solve. Like and he doesn't he doesn't give in to him either. Like, you know, he kind of pushes the whole kind of religious thing. And and and, and in the end, he's like, no, just move it. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to back you on this because it, it, it happens to be, you know, a, a, a law that I agree with. So do you think you know, so this this is another part of like, oh, this is this is like a West Wing plot. I mean, th- oh, yeah, this. Yeah. And I had this like daydream of Aaron Sorkin, like writing this out and then being like, hold on, we got to check. Did we do this before? And like have to go <laughs> through and find it. it was like, OK, we did something about that, but not this. And I'm like, OK, it's going to be in there. <laughs> yeah. They had, I mean, they did do some stuff with, um, you know, nativities and, and stuff. Um, there was a there was a story in the West Wing, which is one of the Christmas episodes, where there's like a fight between two churches about a nativity, and there's also a Jewish temple involved. See, I mean, they they know, had to yeah. like it's either like something that he just did without thinking, you know, it's like what yeah. do we do? Argue about religion with politics? Great, or think about it way too much and make sure it's like, is it just different enough? Can I, can I get away with this? <laughs> well, and, and they, uh, they do a good job of creating a situation that a Senator has to deal with without yeah. really ever giving us the resolution. Like when he goes back in, we just say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. And then the door shuts and we don't, you know, it's like That's one of those true. things. We don't need the resolution of the scene to know, you know, he's doing his, his political spinning and, and, and uh, doing what he needs to do to keep That's his true. constituents happy. And so it's just it's one of and and you know really in the end it's to bed his daughter. I mean that's really what what the scene <laughs> yeah, is about. Yeah, we get I mean, in in between we get it. Yeah, I mean it's only there so Emily Blunt can turn up in her underwear uh, a scene later. But in between <laughs> we get a very like a small thing where he's talking to uh, Jim Van Wagenen, uh, played by PJ Byrne, who's an actor who's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, generally, he plays creeps. Um, and here he's been he's been told, you know, like there's a budget for, um, you know, uh, for, for kind of Afghanistan. And he's saying to him, you know, let's let's double the budget, you know, so it goes up to, you know, from five to ten million. Um, and, you know, it's part of the negotiations and the back and forth between him being put on different committees and taking different, you know, responsibilities. Um, and obviously it doesn't go unnoticed by uh, Joanna Herring because. Shortly after uh, Tom Hanks is showing, uh, you know, uh, Jane uh, the the best view in the district, as he says, she <laughs> tries to show him the second best view in the district. Um, wah, but wah. it's interrupted with, <laughs> yeah, which is interrupted with a phone call from Joanna Herring. 
Um, now I find it interesting because at, you know at the time at the time of this when this film is set, Charlie Wilson was forty seven, but Tom Hanks is fifty one. But that's not much of an issue, you know. Like you know, there's not much of an age difference there. Um, but Joanna Herring was fifty one, and Julie Roberts was only forty when this film was being made. Mm. So that is that is quite a bit of a difference. Um, and the pictures of Joanna Herring from when she was younger, she was a very attractive woman. So I can kind of I can understand you know how she uh, you know was able to kind of charm society. Um, you know, once we get to her party, we'll talk about when that actually took place because it didn't take place in like 1980. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, her, her, like her phone call, you know, she talk, she talks about how she's grateful the, for the increase to the, you know, the budget and, um, you know, it, it kind of interrupts things between, between Jane and Charlie. And I like how she keeps saying, oh, you know, you told me you didn't have a girlfriend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to stop the phone call. Uh, in real life at this particular period in time, Joanna Herring and Charlie Wilson were engaged to be married. Um, well, and huh. I thought Charlie Wilson was married at this time. I mean, he was married from 73 to 83. Well, I, th- I think he was already, you know, um, separated from his wife. Mm, okay. And they had kind of, you know, they what were intending to get... What problems could have possibly come into this marriage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, you know, it... it, it you know, it was it was widely reported that, that Joanne Herring was gonna was gonna marry uh, Charlie Wilson, hmm. um, although that kind of ended up falling apart, and you know that that never happened. Uh, and but by the end of this film, she's you know married to somebody else. Um, you know, and obviously Tom Hanks is very charming when he says, "So I guess I'm not going to get to see him naked." <laughs> uh, yeah, so she you know she's happy with the increase to the budget, uh, and then we are introduced to Gust. Um, who uh, again? He's a, he's a, he's a couple of years younger than uh, Paul, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Is a couple of years younger than the character, um, and he's meeting with his boss uh, Craverly, played by John Slattery, uh, probably riding high off the success of Mad Men at this particular point in time. Uh, and obviously, Philip Seymour Hoffman. What can we say about him? A beautiful man, a wonderful actor. Uh, you know, completely. Uh, you know, it, it feels like he only died yesterday, but you know, it's been you know quite a few years now, and you know, it, it, he's always missed. Um, you know, especially especially when a movie starts with him like this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. no, like he he yeah he announces his presence. Like his character is not like meek or anything. Like him him being angry with with his boss is just kind of funny. And you know, like uh, like him like what I find funny is that John Slattery is like I was expecting an apology, and he's like, why would I apologize? And he's like, because you told me to go fuck myself. And he's like, yeah, well you should. And it's like, <laughs> the, the, you know, he he was never going to apologize. Uh, you know, and yeah, I mean. Yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman, obviously, you know, there's another character, there's another person in this film, played by Amy Adams. Um, you know, they obviously would work together again a few years after this in The Master. And, uh, you know, from the moment we saw him in Boogie Nights, I'm sure everybody fell in love with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. You know, such a, fun, I mean, I'm sure people saw him before that as well. Oh, but, yeah. You know, that's when I remember first seeing him and being like, this guy's great. What's going um, on here with this? And it's, it's one of those things, too, where he's he's so good and then it becomes renowned for him being a great actor that you almost forget that he could be this funny also. It's like, he can do both, but like this and almost famous and, uh, and, um, Oh shoot. Punch drunk love. Um, you know, it just like, it's just weird committed turns, uh, that are fun. And this is one of those things where it's just like, it's just a delight to see this guy furious and how he, you know, smart asses his way to his boss. It was fun. Yeah. 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 
And of course, you know, the guy's there to refix the window that he smashed last time he was there. Yeah. And of course, so he, he grabs the guy's wrench and he's like, I just need this for a moment. And then, of course, he smashes the window <laughs> again. Uh, and I like that he goes past one of the secretaries and he's like, how did that look? And she's, she kind of gives him the thumbs, thumbs up. up. I like, yeah, I like so there's right. a bit of kind of conspiracy amongst the staff. Like, yeah, right. obviously don't like this boss. Um, but yeah, and I, what, I, what I like as well is when he's like initially, you know, we meet this character, we kind of, we don't really kind of like know what he like how he's going to tie into the other parts of it it's mm-hmm. just you know they just they're just like here's i mean i guess you know you see philip seymour hoffman and you're like yeah I, you know i trust this guy's going to be a major part of the film like he's not he's not like making a cameo or anything you know but he like he just kind of comes in and, and for a moment you're like well I, how does this connect to yeah you're right anything that's kind of going on at the moment like why all of a sudden are we jumping to this kind of cia operative for like five minutes um i hadn't thought about that i wonder how much I, you know, like he's on the poster, so I'm like, oh, there's the guy who's on the poster. Great, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's in this movie too. Good, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. It doesn't. The next scene. What's the next scene after this? I don't even remember when. It's when we see it. it's the uh, it's the slave auction is the next scene. It's the uh, yeah. So I mean, yeah. we quickly yeah. forget about him. <laughs> yeah, but what what I find is what I find is funny. You know, obviously in 2007, Philip Seymour Hoffman was also in uh, The Savages, which is a wonderful film as well. I, you know, and that's a completely different performance. Like it's a lot more low key. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, the following year he was in Synecdoche, New York. I, I'm Synecdoche, sure that's how yep. you meant to say. Synecdoche. Yeah. And uh, and yeah. So, you know, he just like, you know, it's just a, straight away. You kind of like as soon as you meet him, you're like, oh, you know, this this character is important, not just because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman, but because in the performance, he kind of, you know, it's very specific, you know, the mustache, the glasses, like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't like immediately. He's a, he's like, a, you know, the character rather than. Um, you know, rather than Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, you know, and then of course speaking of people who are on the poster, and I should I should <laughs> say as well, anybody who has like the poster that I always see is the one with the three strips where you have the three main characters, yeah. and I think their names align with the, you know, underneath. That is a Tom total Hanks, pet Judy peeve Roberts. of mine when it doesn't. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Yeah. But it does on this poster, but there's a different poster which is on Wikipedia, which I advise everyone to watch, and it's taken from the next scene where Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts are kind of standing next to each other but then photoshopped into the background out of nowhere it's just a Philip Seymour Hoffman just kind of looking at them and obviously that never happens in the film but I just thought that was funny that that's somebody made a choice on that poster that's the one that I think of I think that was on that was on the cover of the box or whatever that's the one I always think of and yeah it is super lame just throw him in there (laughs) I mean it's not it's not super lame until you've seen the movie and you realize well that never happened why did they bother it and it, yeah. like, and just to think, like, not only does it never happen, but like, in what context would this ever happen? That like, <laughs> yeah, the well, disapproving were, father is in the background yeah. to watch. I don't know. It's they just, were all in the same room together later in the film when he, yeah, that's yeah, true. Joanne, once. she'd go to bed with him. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, we turn up at a slave auction. Uh, now, apparently, this did happen, but it was twenty years earlier, and it was for a birthday party, not a fundraiser as kind of shown here uh, or a film but you know if you're Aaron Sorkin and you hear that Joanne has yeah. thrown slave auctions as <laughs> you know just a way to raise money and stuff you know it's going to end up in the movie it's oh, just yeah. absolutely it's like yeah. visually it's like it, just hearing the words it's like oh yeah we're going to yeah we're not going to well, drive by that these are these ridiculous people and this is what they do 
Not only that, but the slave auction was so notable that it got a, an article in Time magazine or Life magazine <laughs> when it happened wow. uh, in like 1959 or something. So it was like 20 years before this these particular events. Um, but this is where we kind of well, we also I think this is the only interaction in the film between Amy Adams and Julia Roberts as well, where she's like, go get me a drink. <laughs> yeah. And and Amy Adams has to say, I'm not one of the slaves. And she's like, oh, that's nice. I want two olives. Like, <laughs> just, you know, say it's for me. Uh, which I thought was funny. There is some discussion here about why they're there, but, you know, for for Charlie, he's there for one very specific reason, uh, and that is to have sexual intercourse with her. And so, of course, they go up to the bath. I like how he's kind of being led around the house, and he's like, how many bedrooms are there? And she's like, 14. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's just like, you know, Tom Hanks is, I mean, I don't think we really said it, but in this film, he is extremely charming, as ever. You know, given the right role, because he, he plays was... this. It's it's a it's such a cat of a character, and he really uh, plays him well. I mean, and it goes again to just the smarts that the character actually has, and just the way that he plays it. Uh, but just this party side, it's like I love seeing Tom Hanks doing something like this. It's like yeah. you know, it just feels different, and he's good at it. Yeah, and I was gonna say, like, I was trying to think back. Obviously, at this point now, I've seen thirty something Tom Hanks films, and I was trying to think back at like when has he ever played this type of kind of relaxed kind of cad and i don't uh, i mean volunteers not, i mean i would say it's uh, yeah. pretty similar oh yeah yeah probably volunteer i mean i was gonna say volunteers or bachelor party probably the only two times where he's played characters that were this kind of relaxed yeah and kind of mm. fun loving um you know after a certain point he was always concerned about you know whether or not he was gonna i don't know because he was a widower and he's got to get a new wife or whatever you know like <laughs> other things became because oh, he was stuck on an island you know General, general other things that make makes take make a, stuff take a, like, they put a pin in your cadness yeah yeah it just makes it a bit makes it a bit harder yeah. uh you know when you're a family man on the run from the mob or something like it, you know, then there's something sort of appealing about him where you can almost think that like this worked for him because he was honest about it you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. he's he is not making any he's putting on no airs as to why i'm here or what I think about you, or what I think about you. It's like, no, he is okay. We know how to. We know the compass we can set by this guy. <laughs> Due north. Yeah, but also at the same time, you know, he. Once we start to get into the ins and outs of like the political stuff, he's also obviously very savvy about that. Yeah. But at the same time, he just admits who he is. You know, he's a guy who enjoys being in hot tubs with naked women, and he's not gonna, you know, hide that. Obviously, we also get him here in a bath. Um, you know, after the deed. Um, and I do, I did like that it was kind of, you know, they don't, obviously they don't bother showing it. Um, they just kind of cut to him relaxing in a bubble bath and kind of talking about kind of the issue that, you know, obviously concerns Joanne. And that is the funding, you know, uh, of, of the, the Mujahideen. And, you know, she wants Charlie to increase it even more. You know, she was happy with the, you know, the five to the 10 million, like doubling the budget. But again, that was something like, like he, he did that in his sleep. Like it wasn't really an issue. Like there was no pushback on it. Mm. Um, you know, she wants to try and get it increased so that they can get more weapons and they can start to fight back. And obviously at, at this point, I mean, I think the politics of this film are kind of interesting because, you know, you're talking about someone who's meant to be a Democrat, who's meant to be on the left. And yet he's so clearly shown as being like in favor of supporting like the anti-communist sentiment of the 1980s. And I guess, you know, all politicians were really on that side. Like there was no you couldn't really be someone who's right. pro Russia in the 1980s in america like that wasn't really a stance you could take um unless i guess you're bernie sanders i don't know i mean i don't know what bernie sanders i, I guess bernie sanders probably would not have been in favor of 
arming people to you know for any reason no but bernie pro, sanders i don't know how pro war he is but you bernie know. sanders would have also not been like it, it kind of makes sense that somebody like charlie wilson who's you know partying in hot tubs and stuff might be cool with you know towing the general party line not republican democrat but the general like america first party yeah. line. you know like like oh yeah he's doing pretty well so he'd want to protect what he's got so it doesn't it it tracked with me. Yeah. yeah. I mean it seems uh, as he says like the only things the people in my district care about is that they get their guns and that was it. And so <laughs> because of yeah. that he was really able able to work with with probably both sides yes. pleasing everybody and that's how he had all those like hey I get to vote yes a lot on, on feel- whatever people wanted to kind of you know have him help with. So I, I felt like that that line in particular I I like I thought has aged great in thinking about like number one, we're still having this guns issue. That seems like very much a thing, but just the idea of like, Oh, they're, they do a good job in this movie of detailing out how he could fit right through the needle. You know, that he that he's yeah. from a district that didn't really need anything except he provided those things. He has a bunch of IOUs. He's good at making friends. Like all of these things just kind of lined up for him. And it's interesting when you think, you know, like all the debate we're still having, you can kind of see how things, this is almost a way, a perfect way, in less words than I'm saying now, of saying this is how a person got something done because it wasn't just by getting a bunch of people and screaming one way or screaming the other. It was like, oh, no, I, like, I, I was in the perfect spot to, like, I didn't owe anybody anything, but they owed me and I didn't have to do it so I could just vote yes. And he was on, as he said, yeah. like that that perfect, like, uh, trifecta of the right uh, boards to be sitting on mm-hmm. where he could actually vote on these kind of whatever they wanted for their budget yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, he had the right committee assignments to yep. kind of... Real quick... Know, and he didn't... Oh, sorry. Yes? Real quick, is this the scene where Julie Roberts is is doing her eyes with yes. a safety pin? Yeah. Yeah. As he's in the yeah. bathtub, yeah. Awful. <laughs> that, like, that made me cringe and tighten everything. I, I almost couldn't watch it. And now when I think about it, it's like, that's an interesting, like, little character thing. It was like, I'm sure... Yeah. I'm sure a zillion women have done that, or, you yeah, know, right. a zillion people have done that. But just like, it does tell you a lot about this woman that was like, there's a naked man she just had sex with in the tub, and she's doing her eyes at the safety pin. And we're like, well, hell, don't mess with her. She's yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as well, of course, as as she gets to the end of the conversation, she's obviously saying, you know, she wants him to meet with uh, Zio Hack, who's the you know the the president of Pakistan and you know she just as she leaves she just drains the tub and I th- mm-hmm. I like how Tom Hanks is like I guess I guess you know we're not going to go a second time yeah. and, and she's like you know weren't you counting and he's like I'm in for me and so I, <laughs> I like just this kind of this you know just this kind of comedy this little kind of comedy bit again it it, it works entirely because it's Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks like you know yeah. with other actors it would just feel a bit kind of hacky um, but you know smash cut to war here's some war for you <laughs> Um, so, uh, something this film does a few times is using obviously a lot the of titular, kind of, not the titular war, but the titular war. Yeah, no. yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if it's funny because I, I mean, we haven't really kind of spoken about the title, but obviously, you know, something that some other people dispute about whether or not it was actually Charlie Wilson's war, because obviously, you know, Ronald Reagan would have had to sign off on everything that he's put into the committees and stuff. So, you know, technically speaking, Ronald Reagan's war. But I think that the the, the war in the title could also be the fact between. 
Charlie Wilson wants to spend all his time partying, but also mm. he has this kind of battle within himself where he, he has to kind of be a politician. Sure. And, you know, I don't know if the title is meant to be more than one thing, but it always felt to me like it's more about him trying to kind of party all the time, but at the same time, you know, as, as Eddie Murphy wanted us all to do in the 80s. <laughs> but then also on the other side of that he 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 desperately wants to try and keep his job so he's kind of, he's kind of got to be a politician every now and again um you know and kind of we'll find out in a bit you know uh once once gust and uh, and him meet you know like there's, there's some issues that are going on in the background um but i i i kind of find it funny that like you know there there's a lot of kind of stock footage of wars going on in this film um, all of which i think is obviously news footage from around the time yeah. of the you know the Russian Afghanistan war, but they do put quite a lot of it in. Uh, we'll talk about it later when not the helicopter a, gets shot not down. Not in such a terrible a way, though. Well, like, oh, I, no, the, the, I thought that was yeah. pre- I thought that was pretty well handled. I was this is a yeah. weird comparison, but I was actually watching uh, old Batman episodes, the sixties Batman episodes, and uh, they do a lot of this for budget reasons, where like you know they have this footage of the Batcopter from the movie, and they're like we're going to use that again, and then they have like just random crowd footage, and like they that is clearly not there but this this bland like i could pick it out as news footage or or what have you but it fits pretty well into what they're doing it fits pretty well until they start kind of like intercutting with with new footage and that's you know yeah yeah, there there were times where they were doing what the line was almost too forced to say this Mm -hmm. is the news footage now we're following this russian copter pilot (laughs) as he's talking about yes this woman. Oh no, that it's like yeah, that whole, Aaron that Sorkin, so the that, Aaron Sorkin Russian co- pilot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so yeah, defying relationship uh, whilst you're getting shut down by the Mujahideen. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> such a weird, such a weird touch. But yeah, we well, you know, once we once we come out of the footage, we get Charlie actually meeting President of Pakistan, played by Umpouring, mm. uh, who you know we lost in 2017. Uh, you know, a wonderful actor, um, best known over here for uh, a huge film called East Is East. Uh, where I mean, it was a, it was a massive hit. I think his budget was like one million pounds, and it made like ten million. Hmm. Played for ages. It was it was huge, so big they made a sequel called West Is West. Um, <laughs> well, so... <laughs> and, and he was in Gandhi. I mean, you know, just as far as yeah. other oh, big yeah. films that people have heard of that yeah. on this side of uh, the world that, and th- that he's this is he's a... definitely a very popular actor. This movie has yeah. a lot of is a really good. Hey, it's that person movie like we've listed off <laughs> yeah. amy i did like going into this rewatch I, i've forgotten that it had amy adams emily blunt john slattery slattery and uh and in this scene uh we also have i think this is where we get uh rizwan manji from schitt's creek uh yes. is one of yeah. the aides and i'm like yeah the just t- the like two- all these people popping up <laughs> well, and, yeah. and we well, have I'm... ferran tahir as as one of the as the brigadier who uh the very next year would go on to play Raza from the Ten Rings in Iron Man. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I'd forgotten yeah. about him too. Yeah. But I do I do love that when they when they get there and obviously I mean I should say as well, Ampuri is not Pakistani. He's he's he was he was right. born uh, yeah, he you know, he's he's an Indian, so uh, there's a, there's a, a worse case of that later on in the film, but we'll get we'll talk about it once we reach that. Um, but yeah, so you know they talk about the funding, and he keeps saying, you know, I increased the funding, I doubled, and they're like, you know, it's a joke. And I, I like how both of his advisors are like, you know, uh, the sentiment we have about the funding is basically 
doubling it seems like you were making some kind of joke to us yeah. <laughs> and, and i i like how they keep saying it in different ways and eventually yeah. he's like i get it you think it's a joke like just, like the I, way he has to kind of draw I a line under it and be like sarcasm. yeah i understand right yeah. yeah it's yeah it's just such a wonderful and then of course you know they ask for him to visit like a refugee camp um and you know he does with bonnie who again doesn't exist so i'm guessing you know the other guy named charlie probably went along at the time um and you know this obviously prompts you know, this was this was basically on the insistence of Joanne, you know, like to go and see the people. And so he does. And, you know, once he's done that, he then goes to see Harold Holt, played by uh, Dennis O'Hare, um, who, again, a wonderful actor. Oh, yeah. um, I remember him particularly uh, prominently on True Blood. He played a wonderful over the top character on that. Um, but there have been several films that Dennis O'Hare has been in. And he's always a delight, um, you know, and it, it just such a wonderful such. I mean, you know. Uh, like uh, what I find funny in this is he's playing someone who's clearly like a complete ass and, <laughs> and you know and who you know he's asked for a debrief like late at night um, I, again I'm getting a feeling this isn't a real person because I think um, when Aaron Sorkin has named the not real people in this film he keeps giving them like Marvel names so he's Harold Holt um, and obviously <laughs> that's Artel Artel is yeah, if he, they could if they have an alter ego as a superhero it's like maybe well, not he, because his assistant is Bonnie back as well. So, like, it's mm, just the, the doubling yeah. of the... And and the, and um, Peter Geraghty played uh, Larry Little. So I, I, these feel like these are probably not real people when he's like coming up with these names. Um, so, yeah, so, we, you know, we find out he's a station chief and he's like, you know, what's your tactic? And, he, and they sum it up basically as they want to have enough people killed so that the russians run out of bullets which their is, own yeah you know, the russians vietnam is the way that they pitch it yes yeah, yeah. Crazy. and that and that <laughs> that is you know that's an insane that like that's just not the way to kind of uh you know to do this um you know i should say as well dennis o'hare in this year he i mean he had a pretty good year because oh, yeah. he was also in uh, michael clayton yep. uh before this and then he was also in uh milk uh and changeling right and right. i think I enjoyed him in Baby Mama as well. That's a fun film. Um, so you know he had a yeah had a pretty good pretty good kind of year. Uh, yeah. Same as Amy Adams. She was also in like Doubt the same year as this. So it's you know along with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah. So you know his character he'll pop up again like later on. But it's it's kind of just like an extended cameo really for Dennis O'Hare here. Um, and this is when we find out why we met Gust earlier on in the film. <laughs> uh, takes us a little while, but we finally get to it. He's the one who's running the Afghan office. And he's, you know, brought in to meet Charlie in what I'm going to call like, uh, you know, it's like a two door farce where people keep coming in and out <laughs> of this office. And this is, what, you know, this is obviously where I said, you know, Shiri Appleby's character called Jailbait in the film. She's like the press secretary. And we see her with a couple of the other girls like rewriting a statement that's going to be given because of yeah. an investigation that's been launched by Rudolf Giuliani. Oh, and I man. Do, Talk I about, mean, like... The moment, <laughs> the, the, the moment when Tom Hanks, like, as Charlie Wilson, when they say, you know, the investigation's being conducted by Rudolf Giuliani, and they're like, do you know him? And he goes, never heard of him. And it's like, I, I think we all wish we were it's Charlie Wilson. It's such a weird thing, too, moment. because at the time that this would have come out, that would, yeah. have, been, that would have been funny to say because... You're like, you don't know America's mayor? And now you're like, you yeah, don't know whole... the guy who called a press conference at a Four Seasons <laughs> garden shop? You know, like, oh, man. like, you don't know the vampire acting as a lawyer for the craziest president we've had? <laughs> like, it's so strange. 
I mean, Four Seasons Landscaping will never not be the funniest thing to it's have happened in the last twenty years. Just like, I just, <laughs> just cannot. But yeah, we get this. We get this thing where Gust comes in. He gives him some uh, some whiskey because he, to thank him for the. Well, again, he, this is this is like the third time in a row where someone has talked about the budget increase and then immediately diminished it. Yeah. So he says, you know, he's when he gives him the whiskey, he says, you know, oh, thank you, and he goes, oh, it was nothing, and he goes, what, getting the whiskey? Because obviously it's a very specific whiskey and all this. And he goes, no, the budget increase. That was nothing. <laughs> and I, I, I like how we then get him. Obviously, he goes like, you know, there's something is happening. You know, there's an investigation happening. And so the Ch- Charlie's Angels come in and they send him out of the room and then they bring him back in the room and then they send him back out. the room again. Yeah. And this happens like three or four times. And then eventually, you know, Gus says to him, he says, you should check about the limo driver because obviously he would have also, you know, he'll be subpoenaed as well. And I like how he's like, you were listening at the door. No. And then this leads to the, like, the fantastic moment where he's like, no, I wasn't listening at the door. I'm not like, you know, a kid. He's like, I bugged the bottle. <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, you know, so you should well. never trust. Yeah. Especially with Hoffman delivery. Yeah. 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 That's good at his job, right? I mean, yeah. it's good. He's exactly. The spy is good at his job. And what what I love about it as well is when, like, obviously, you know, Tom Hanks gets to do some trademark yelling, um, <laughs> you know, and... As he does the trademark yelling, of course, Gust is like, hey, you know, quiet down. You're like, literally, te- he's got, he's like, he goes, I got the thing in my ear. Like, you know, you don't need to shout. Like, it's just like, I don't know. It's such a, like, the, I mean, it it kind of makes me sad that Philip Seymour Hoffman and Tom Hanks, I don't think ever worked again after this, you know, together. Uh, because good. they just, they're so good. Like, just, and the, just the, like the comedy of like the angels coming in and out and him kind of just willingly being like, yeah, okay, I'll go outside and then I'll wait and they'll come back in. Like, but he didn't need to because he bugged the bottle. So like, you know, he, you didn't need to send him outside. Like there was no point, but I just, I just kind of love how the whole city, you know, we get to see that Gust is obviously someone who's serious, you know, he, he, the 10 million is not going to be anything, you know, um, you know, he, although from, you know, up until this point in the film, Charlie has obviously felt very proud that he managed to double a budget without causing any issues but every person that he meets after that point has had to say to him it's not enough money like five million was was useless 10 million is not really going to help um you know it needs to be more serious um and i i like how kind of you know his like we say his competence kind of comes through here where he's like obviously he needs he needs to find a way to get the committee to increase the budget by even more um so that they can and then obviously we, we start to get the cia stuff where you know they have to kind of figure out how to get weapons uh, to this country, mm. uh, but we meet Mike Vickers, uh, a real person, uh, played by the actor uh, Christopher Denham, who I think I've seen in a few things, but I don't think he's ever really kind of broken out. Um, out of all the people in the film, I think Michael Vickers does the best in terms of getting an actor who's extremely attractive compared to his own picture. He's a normal guy, but he's, you know, yeah, he's um, an actor actor glow up. Like yeah, the Hollywood he, oh, version yeah. is like, oh my, and the uh, real version is like, oh. Yeah, he was the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence under Barack Obama uh, mm. for four years. Um, uh, but he was also, you know, he's obviously a company man because he, he was also, you know, part of that department under George W. Bush. Um, but he is, you know, mostly seen as kind of like a, you know, more left leaning um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the policies and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of interesting you know that he's playing four games of chess it does remind me of that scene from the simpsons where bart does the same but he gets checkmated four times in a row very quick um, <laughs> this seemed like this also seemed like kind of i don't know if i want to say declare it as the hackiest scene but this seems kind of like a hacky move you know like he's playing four games of chess you know like 
I kind of like, uh, we, there's other ways we could show that he's competent. <laughs> you know, it just, I don't know. It just seems like. It's very written, right? Yes. It, yeah. Know, and, and the whole thing, finding out, oh, he was a Green Beret and all this stuff. It's like, there's just one after another of just like, how great is this mysterious guy? It just, yeah. the whole thing. Couldn't we have like Wikipedia'd yeah. him before we just showed up and got all the, you know, like <laughs> we don't need to, I don't know. It just like, especially the chess part too. You're just like, I've seen this. This oh, yeah. is this I mean, done. Te- the weird thing is, te- like, technically speaking, I think when this film is set, he was still serving, so he wasn't mm. like he wasn't out of the service. So he was still he was still in there until like eighty six, um, and I think the actor is way too young to be playing the part of how old Michael Vickers was at the time of this. Um, but uh, you know, obviously, this, they they they're coming up with a strategy for how they can get the money, and they realize they need to convince Doc Long. Um, to to go ahead of it, but they also need to get weapons in. You know that could credibly that w- wouldn't be American. Basically, they can't have um, you know the Mujahideen being captured with American weapons. They need to get Soviet weapons to them um, through a third party. Yeah, because that would turn um, it into a real war, and we don't want. Right. Yeah, this is it. War. Stops yeah. being cold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, much much like uh, much like uh, Mo said to Homer, you don't really want to get involved in a you know drawn into a boxing match. Uh, just let them keep punching you in the head um so you know they don't want to fully turn the war hot they want it to remain cold um and so uh, you know they they have two two fronts that they're going to deal with first of all they need to convince doc long um second of all they need to speak to zvi uh, who is a a arms specialist um and obviously gust and charlie meet with zvi played by ken stott english actor not as portrayed in this film, someone who is Middle Eastern in some way, uh, the most agrarious kind of like, I mean, like the casting is just, I mean, they could have made, they could have made, like he's meant to be Israeli. They could have made his yeah, character right. British. Like they did it, you know, he's, you know, he's obviously maybe based on a specific person. Change the name. Like we've yeah. already invented at least three or four characters before this moment. Here's so. where, here's yeah. one of those moments when they're like, was this movie made by white men? That, well, not not just white men, but just like very Hollywood. And these are the parts yeah. where I feel like uh, it, it starts feeling like it's just it's such a Hollywood production. Like we're just going to totally disregard, you know, any of that sort of, uh, you know, the where people were actually from. And we're just going to find actors to play the parts regardless yeah, right. of whether yeah. it really makes sense. And that's that's where I start feeling like when any time we cut to them abroad, that's where I and I'm seeing these people. I'm just I, I stop buying into so many of these elements in the film. Mm. As great as the actors are, I mean they're great in the scenes, but yeah. I just you know I, oh, I wish Ken, that yeah. Ken Stott. Ken Stott is a wonderful actor. Uh, I'm sure people most likely now will know him for being Barlin in the Hobbit trilogy. I don't know if people um, know him for that. It's well, they're so they're so buried <laughs> yeah. under the makeup in that. It's not like you go, oh right, he was a dwarf. <laughs> yeah I, I, he's been in a ton of other things uh a lot of kind of tv over here as well um and you know he's i mean when he's talking with his own voice he's very scottish so to see him trying to put on like uh an israeli accent is such an odd thing uh that this film goes for yeah. but you know they come up with a number and it's 35 million uh they need to get 35 million to buy weapons i like as well how gust doesn't want to talk to him until the two like bodyguards are out of the way because he doesn't know who they are Like, he literally says, who are these guys? Like, I don't know who these guys are. I'm not going to say anything in front of these guys. And so he has to kind of dismiss them so that they, you know, they leave and then he can kind of talk. Um, And I like him kind of flexing and being like, look, here's some keyhole photos. You know, I can see that you've got these tanks of this specific make. And, you know, and 
he's like, well, you don't want tanks. He's like, no, but this is just pictures of stuff you own. I can get pictures of anything. Like, it's not a problem. Um, you know, so stop messing us about. Tell us how much money you need and we'll get the money. Um, yeah. And then something that apparently was very much true. Uh, they use a belly dancer <laughs> to get them to meet with the Israelis and the Egyptian government. Um, and we get a very, like, a very specific, like, I mean, this, the scene is very much about this belly dancer for the start of this scene it's kind of like weird how it kind of all of a sudden we're, we're with this belly dancer uh but apparently that was something that that he did that uh charlie wilson was like oh i know this belly dancer who can talk to these people and get us there <laughs> so, that track you know, i that, feel like that tracks with what we've yeah. learned <laughs> like who's my who's my who's who of uh how to get in it's like well i got this stripper this dancer this guy. oh okay yeah all right <laughs> exactly and in this scene uh, hassan who is the the person that they're meeting with you know, covertly behind the guy who is the reason they're here. Uh, that's played by Sean Tobe, who also was in Iron Man. He played uh, Fareem, the guy who, or I, I think that's his name, who, uh, who who helps Tony in the cave. Yeah, who's in the cave. Oh, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Oh, his death is heartbreaking. Yeah. This is like old, this is like the old classic Hollywood era where you're watching Casablanca <laughs> and then you're like, oh my God, all the people in this exactly. movie are going to show up in, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> just like right. they just moved them all over to one of the script. Exactly. And he and he was great in Iron Man. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And yeah. When, he, when, he, when he gets left behind and, you know, he, he knows he has to die, you know, it's a, it's a very genuine well, sad right. moment. It is. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so we get a negotiation, um, you know, uh, with this belly dancer, you know, doing her dancing. Um, there's some, you know, uh, there's, there's, you know, cigars and people are talking and, and there's some disagreements about whether or not, uh, you know, the Israelis want to help Muslims and whether or not the Egyptian government wants to kind of get involved. And, you know, Charlie is like, well, you know, we want we all want to defeat the communists here. Um, so <laughs> so who does it matter who's giving us the weapons? And so, obviously, you know, the, the Pakistan president is is kind of convinced, OK, I guess I'll take the weapons. And even <laughs> though them. even yeah. though this was based on, like you say, true facts, it reminds me of a friend of mine mentioned about uh, Game of Thrones, where he noticed that anytime they have to do a lot of exposition, there's like a brothel or an orgy going on. Yeah, you know, right. it's like it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, what do we just ha- we're just going to talk about like, oh, I don't like you for these facts and i don't like this because of these numbers and then it's like yeah but what if we had a pretty girl over there dance <laughs> dancing while that happened and like oh it's perfect yeah well and, yeah and, it makes complete sense and you know that that's probably something that aaron sorkin latched onto with yeah. the story of charlie yeah. wilson where he's like hey you know i anytime we're just having to do like really heavy political negotiations <laughs> or whatever we can just throw a pretty girl in there and and it connects to charlie and, and right you know that's yeah. that's an interesting character element that you can use to throw around in here mm-hmm. it's like the bubble bath scene in um, yeah whatchamacallit i'm blanking on the name of that movie but you know what I'm talking about. I just say the Charlie Wilson's team. War. Yeah. No, not in this one. What's the, the one with um, the the housing crisis? Um, oh. Oh, I'm, yeah. Uh, I know uh, the, big the big short. Yeah, the big yeah, short. Yeah. Right, uh, Margot get, Robbie. Yeah, Margot Robbie in the hot tub yeah. in the bath right. in the bubble bath. That's exactly. Yeah, that is that scene is like spurred from all of this type of stuff. The, exactly. I think it's funny as well because obviously you know uh, I don't think it's here, but I think it's a little bit after this where we get the thing with Joanne and she's introducing. Uh, Zia and and she's like he did not kill his predecessor. <laughs> so it's like 
you know, earlier in the film, obviously, Charlie was like, it's, you know, it's funny being told that you have low morals by a guy who assassinated his yeah. his predecessor by hanging him in, in a square. Like, so, uh, I, I, you know, obviously, it's, it's I like as well how he, you know, before she says that speech, he's like, do you want me to, you know, take a look over it? And she's like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> um, you know, obviously not realizing what she was about to say. Um, but yeah, that I mean that kind of forms or, part. Or of the actually, offensive. Darren, I would say having yeah. a good idea of what she's gonna say. Well, I got the idea well, that yeah. he knows like it's gonna like I don't know if she's gonna nail this politically. <laughs> so would you well, like and, to see that? And that uh, it really came because of that. I mean, because we had that conversation earlier with Gust, who said, yeah. you know, you've got to tone Joanne down. Right. She needs to stop with the the religious angle with all of this. And so I think that was his yeah. way of saying, let me just see, make sure there's nothing in here that's too religious. Of course, it was something totally different anyway, <laughs> but still. Totally different. It, yeah. It, it, that allowed for that conversation to come up with him right. and Joanne saying, look, let's find a way to do this where you're not being so overt with your motivations. Uh, irony being, of course, that when they talk to uh, Clarence Dickinson Long the Junior, uh, also known to everyone as Doc, um, he he uh, he likes the religious stuff. So, right. um, you know, uh, we're saying, you know, he was, I mean, I, mean you know, I think his involvement as, you know, being part of the subcommittee on foreign operations and house appropriations, Probably the most interesting thing about his entire career, you know, mostly, I mean, it's funny because obviously Gus slights Charlie by saying the most successful thing you've done in your six terms is get elected five times, um, you know, <laughs> and Charlie seems kind of proud of. Yeah, I don't, I yeah, don't think he's, yeah, he's like, ashamed of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll see in the film, he gets elected like a seventh time and, yeah. you know, he does it. He, he ends up being a 12 term congressman. So, you know, he does he does quite well in getting reelected. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Doc is obviously he's a deeply religious man and this is where you know joanne uh you know she obviously comes into play because she's able to kind of talk to him and obviously the, you know there's a funny kind of conversation where you know he's reluctant to raise the funding and so charlie calls her up and says you know we need we need you to speak to him and she's like oh now you need jesus yeah <laughs> um, which is like kind of and and obviously what what they what they want to do is they want to take him to afghanistan to see the people as charlie did and obviously, as Joanne has done on a number of occasions, and that is how they'll kind of, you know, stir his heartstrings and get him uh, to join. Um, but while that's going on, what, did, the did, inve- did, I'm sorry, did you say that that was Ned Beatty? Because I just, I, 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 think, I hadn't. No, no, yeah. no. I, he's such. A- I was going to say, I just wanted to quickly say that the investigation that Rudy is doing is over. And they, you know, they're at a bar partying. It goes, uh, it goes fun- about as well as any of Giuliani's investigations. Really. <laughs> yeah, and what what I find what I find funny is, of course, you know, they're in this bar. They're all, you know, the the Charlie's Angels are dancing around. We do get the moment where Gust, uh, you know, proposes uh, sleeping with Joanne, and she kind of is like, "I'll see you on the plane tomorrow." Um, uh, but what I what I like about this is as she leaves, she's like saying goodbye to everyone, and then she just turns to the Charlie's Angels and just goes sluts, yep. and then walks out <laughs> uh, of the bar. But yes, Ned Beatty, uh, who tragically we lost last year, wonderful actor, yeah, wonderful yeah, actor. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he is obviously the the extremely religious, um, you know, Doc, and he's there with his wife. They've flown out with Charlie and with Gust. Who he calls like Mr. Papadopoulos or something like yeah. that. He doesn't, he doesn't believe. Which, considering that Gust is meant to be like a CIA operative who's meant to be like kind of a spy, the fact that he doesn't know his name is probably best. I, I would almost, I almost imagine that's how he introduced himself to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just so it, to, to throw him off. But they, they obviously they go to see some children. 
um, and you know the refugees and you know um, Joanne kind of paints paints him as their savior like he's like they've been waiting for you out here in the desert <laughs> and so she really kind of lays it on thick um, yeah I, I, what's I, I mean obviously you know uh, Ned Beatty he's not in this film much but you know he's obviously you know he was nominated for Academy Award you know yeah such a, a presence of Emmys yeah uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 one of those things. Like you say, this is kind of like classic Hollywood of just having like an actor of this stature just kind of come in for a couple of scenes. This is the for a role that. You so know. while we were talking about parodies, it just reminded me. Of this is such a weird reference, but in Wayne's World two, there's a scene where they're actually parodying uh, uh, the Graduate, directed uh, yeah. by Mike Nichols, yeah. where th- he stops for directions from a gas station attendant, and then Wayne's yeah. and it's just some no name. He's like, "Couldn't we get somebody to really do this?" And they bring in Charlton Heston, and yeah. this is almost the same type of thing where it's like, "We need somebody to just like hit a home run in two scenes, just, yeah. just somebody and, to really get bring it up." And they're like, "Oh, this Ned can do it." And they're like, "Oh, awesome, great, bring him in." Yeah. <laughs> what I like as well is how he seems kind of easily, so easily persuaded by the fact that Joanna's like, "These these people have been mm-hmm. waiting for you. You are going to save them." And that's all he needs to hear for him to be like, yes, let's increase the funding and that's, supply them with weapons and everything. Yeah, like it yeah. just it just took a tiny bit of like convincing him with a savior complex Some that ego, he was going to be ego massaging. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. And I, and I, yeah. I think as well that also sh- like obviously we know what Charlie is good at. He's good at the party and he's good at kind of you know uh, persuading people. Uh, and I think it's interesting because this kind of then shows us Joanne's strength, which is that she can kind of charm people and cajole them. And this is probably how she's been successful at, you know, raising money for so many causes over so long is because she just can. Yeah. You know, there's also a, a thing where they they talked. I think, uh, the, you know, there was an interview with real uh, Joanne Herring <clears throat> and she said that, you know, she would deliberately put on extremely revealing dresses when she needed to raise money so that mm. people would, you know, be charmed by that and, and kind of, you know, see her beauty. And that's she, how she got the money. Her character also sort of fits the like the Sorkin blonde Republican trope that was going on, you know, like that they had uh, in the West Wing and then they'd have her again in uh, what's the Studio 66 on the Sunset Strip. Studio 60. Yeah. 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 And like this idea of like almost we have to have it's a political story. So we have to have both sides. I want to have a Republican, but I also got to make them likable. I was like, what if they're an attractive woman? And, <laughs> and, and then so you have that thing. So then they can do these things that in other contexts and other movies, people who don't agree with them politically might not necessarily be on their side. But because it's Julia Roberts and because it works yeah. and because she's good at her job, we're kind of like, oh, if only they were all like this. Yeah, well, and, and Julia Roberts, I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot of those elements. I mean, that's what she won her Oscar for with Aaron Brockovich. It's very yeah, much right? that same sort of, uh, you know, character. You know, I need to reveal a little more of myself to get this done. So be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so now we kind of, I don't know, we, we go into like um, uh, like an extended like 20 minute montage. I don't think it was 20 minutes, but <laughs> still, this is, this is where we start montaging mm-hmm. um, rather than you know going through every piece of every negotiation uh once the funding is secured and obviously this is now like 35 million that figure will keep growing as the the film continues on we start to get footage of people being shot 
by helicopters. Uh, helicopters being the main, you know, that was the main yeah. way for the, the Russians, Russians to get yeah. into Afghanistan was heavily, heavily armored uh, helicopters. And obviously the issue is you can't shoot them down because they haven't been given like the radar. So they can't spot when the helicopters are coming. So they, and know, even they, like they the artillery have... is not strong enough. Right. Yeah, they can't get through. Yeah. The Cause everything's armor. plated. Yeah. And so, yeah. So we start to get discussion about the different weapons that they're buying. We see footage of things being dropped out of uh, bombers with parachutes on crates um, and we also then get the kind of the wheeling and dealing as the funding keeps increasing, you know, mm-hmm. to the 100 million to 150 million. This has been as well matched by the Saudis. That's one of the things that kind of spurred people along was like, you know, whatever we put in, the Saudis are going to just also double it. Um, and, you know, we see the increasing of fighting. We see, you know, news footage. Um, and then we also see, um, you know, the numbers, you know, they we see the we have this one scene, such a weird, such a weird it's such a weird scene where a Russian helicopter played by Pasha Lichin, Lichinkov, mm-hmm. um, who I recognize him. I recognize his face. I can't say I remember exactly where I've seen him before, but he, he's been in a lot of films. He's having this conversation in Russian um, in between footage, like in between stock footage of helicopters flying. We have this brand new footage of him talking with subtitles <laughs> and he's talking about his relationship with his girlfriend. Yeah. And as he's doing that on the ground, we see uh, a couple of Mujahideen as they take out, uh, you know, this, this kind of anti uh, air, you know, anti-helicopter you know, missile. And they start to it's one of those where you have to put it together and somebody else has to hold it. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's got the little you know thing for aiming. And so we see them put that together whilst this conversation was going on. But it, it's such a, uh, such you know, a weird moment. I kind of, yeah, it is strange. And I think it's strange how it plays out because I can almost see this working on paper where you're showing that Rush, the Russian pilots killing Afghans is so yeah. blasé and low stakes for them. They can talk about anything. Yeah. And so it almost yeah. becomes like Apocalypse Now where they're talking about surfing while they're massacring these villagers right so i kind of see it there but i i would almost wager a guess that it feels weird at this point because not to disparage aaron sorkin but this feels like a very aaron sorkin moment and i almost feel like at this point in the movie we have filled our tank with aaron sorkin moments we're like we're full of them so i don't need another like quirky character yeah. You know, and like that's that's the tipping point maybe and maybe it's also just the context maybe it is just too gross. I don't know. It it seems it's just kind of like ah oh, what? Okay, sure. Yeah. yeah. They are kind of being they they're like talking about like coordinates of who they're going to kill but then also throwing in relationship stuff yeah. and it's so, it, it just feels a little bit odd. And well and it feels um, overplayed. Like I've seen that scene too many times where mm-hmm. you know people are casually talking about relationship drama when you know they're doing some war maneuvering and it just it comes across as already used too much and for Aaron Sorkin it just it doesn't play well and it doesn't convey uh, that point that that you were just saying where you know the whole idea is that this is just it doesn't even mean anything to these Russians anymore Mm -hmm. it's just another day at the office they just go in blow a bunch of Afghans up and fly out and that's it 
and we I, oh, lose yeah. that uh, that momentum. And it's shot in such a kind of like a stagey way where everything feels like okay, these guys are clearly on a set, and now we have little <laughs> models of helicopters flying around. It just like none of that <laughs> yeah. came across as, yeah. as authentic in any way. I mean, I guess we get the moment of satisfaction as the missile successfully hits the sure. the Russian helicopter, and then obviously the other helicopters like peel off because they're like you know they've got stuff that can yeah, take a stand. So you know, and, and maybe away. that's it too. Is it doesn't it kind of drags out because the real build the real build of that like sequence is the afghans can't beat these helicopters ah then they get uh some better artillery but it's hard and now here's the payoff they get the best artillery and they take them down it's like it's delaying the lat it's like that rhythm is like one one two two three three this goes one one two two three talky talky three talkie talkie three yeah. and it kind of like oh no the punchline needs to just be they got their weapon and they took them down yeah not it just yeah. kind of yeah it's there's a lot of there's a lot of things you could do different yeah yeah and I, I mean obviously you know there is the kind of like the big explosion which just the whole screen turns to fire as it hits the helicopter which is again kind of weird because it's like uh, whose point of view are we looking at when we see that fire like are we in midair suspended <laughs> yeah. watching it it's such a, you know, it makes sense from the point of view of the helicopter pilots, you know, see the fire in front of them. But no, they just explode. And that is the start of the victory. This is the start of the turnaround. You know, mm-hmm. we're at like 1980, early 1987, I think it is when this starts. And they start shooting down helicopters and we start to get people being really happy about the murder of <laughs> Soviet helicopter pilots. Yeah. Like it's like we just see all these numbers where it's like helicopters shut down 55 you know like this and and then it just keeps increasing and increasing and obviously you know the mujahideen are are getting better at using the weaponry they're getting more weaponry the funding keeps increasing it goes from 100 million to 200 million to 300 million like they just keep giving them more and more and obviously you know like it is kind of you know it is working like it's it's kind of it's it's you know they're turning the war around um, you know, famously, Afghanistan is a very difficult place to attack because of, you know, the various mountains and the kind of the geography of it makes it very hard for any army to invade. And obviously, the Russians had found a way to do that with the, you know, the constant slaughter from these these kind of helicopter raids. Um, but now, you know, they've got stuff that can take these helicopters down. And so that, you know, the war is turning around. We get, uh, you know, Dennis O'Hare pops back in as Harry Holt. And he's not happy, you know. He says to, he says to John Slattery once again, popping in for a quick cameo at the end here. Fantastically um, in a he, Santa Claus outfit. I might yeah, 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 yeah. I mean that that feel, again. <laughs> that's that feels how like to do like, that. This scene that's, is yeah. how to do the. I have other things going on in my life. Yeah, yeah. You know, just you know, padding himself up, getting dressed as hand me that belt, will you? So good. Yeah, I think I think happy basically that Gust isn't smashing up his windows in his office. <laughs> yeah. So he, do, you know. He doesn't care what Harry Holt thinks about things. And what I like as well is like Harry Holt is like, this wasn't our strategy. And he's like, yeah, but it's working. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're winning. Like, and I think Harry, you know, probably had some concerns, but his strategy was no better than what's going on now. And what's going on now is a victory against Russia. Um, you know, and we, we finally see that, you know, Charlie has managed to get the, you know, he's in his committee meeting. Um, along with Spencer Garrett, a face you've probably seen everywhere. Um, I, saw, I, I was like, where do I know this guy from? And, and I think, I was trying to think like specifically where I know him from, but I was like, I can't put my finger on exactly where I know him from. Um, but he's been in like so many different films. Um, I think most recently, the kind of the biggest thing that he did was being in Bombshell, uh, where he played Sean Hannity. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, that makes, that kind of makes sense. Hmm. Um, yeah, I can yeah, see he's that. Been in, 
Yeah. yeah, he's been in like a ton of other kind of different things, but he kind of, he's there as kind of a counterpoint because he's like, you know, Charlie's like, we need to raise the budget, you know, one more time. And he's like, what what do you want to raise it to? And he's like, 500 million. And he's like, where did this start? And he's like, 5 million. And they all just start laughing because they're, you know, they've obviously spent so much money on this. Um, but, you know, they're happy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's finally turning things around. Uh, you know, we get the intercut of Charlie's re-election where people are celebrating that, which I, th- I think this puts it at kind of the end of 88, doesn't it? Like when the... Yeah, time's been... Uh, I mean, there has been kind yeah. of a movement through time that hasn't been that apparent until we get those dates no. on the screen. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it went from yeah. 80. And then by the time we're seeing those dates on the screen with uh, kind of the attacks, it's 1987, 88. So yeah, it's definitely... Yeah. A lo- I mean, this has taken a lot longer than you'd realize to kind of get mm-hmm. through all of this stuff. Yeah. And obviously for anybody who knows the Russian Afghanistan like occupation, you know that it finishes in 1988. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is and, and I should say as well, the character played by Ampuri, the president of Pakistan, he was killed in a helicopter crash in 1988. They don't mention that at all in the yeah. in the film. They don't bother bringing it up. But that helicopters were right there. Definitely. They had all yeah. this footage of helicopter yeah. crashes. <laughs> yeah, but it's I'm, considering how important his character was, it's interesting that, that nobody says, "Oh, Zia was you know killed in a helicopter yeah. crash," or nobody mentions to Joanne, "Aren't you sad about losing your friend of the last ten years?" <laughs> you know, like there's no there's no kind of mention to it. He just kind of disappears. Uh, we see Charlie go after his victory um, to get a Stinger missile given to him by the the Afghani people as the Russians retreat. And we get the news footage of them retreating. Um, and then we also get a celebration of that uh, where we see Gust and Charlie kind of one last time talking to each other. And they share the story of the Zen master. And oh, the, by the way, weird scene yes. to get a st- like a Stinger missile. I know I get it well, in this context, but it is just kind of funny to be like, what am I, I? I immediately thought, very American of me. Like, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. Like, where it, am I going to hang this? It's interesting, though. If you look on Charlie Wilson's um, uh, uh, Wikipedia page, there's a photo, one of the press photos of him, and it they yeah. they actually captured it really wow. well. He looks just as silly in that outfit as Tom <laughs> Hanks did in the film. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, funny that the. I he, mean, these are the sorts of photo ops. I guess they've got to do right. Yeah, and Charlie Wilson was very proud of that, and he displayed it in his offices for years after. I get, I get it. It's um, just, it's just a so, strange. Yeah. I don't know, just something that yeah, no one I, has ever thought to give me, and I've never <laughs> thought to give anybody. Just shows where I am. Uh, yeah, uh, we get the story of uh, the horse. Kid gets a horse, and people are yes. like, "This is going to be great." And of course, the Zen master is like, "We'll see." And then he gets thrown off the horse, and they're like, "You know, this is very bad." And the Zen master is like, "We'll see." And then there's a war and the kid can't go because he's broke his leg. And they're like, oh, that's fortunate. And of course, the Zen master is like, we'll see. And I kind of like how Gus, you know, like he's telling this story at the end, you know, that they're obviously discussing, the, you know, the success. And Charlie Wilson is like, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, again, as he says that as well, the sound of a commercial jetliner (laughs) flying overhead happens. Um, Possibly the most subtle thing in the film i would say um <laughs> like just a yeah a hint at well we'll I, see i want to say um, i i don't know if i i don't know how i feel about the zen master story because in a way it's very memorable and i kind of like it in the moment another part of me is a little annoyed by it because it's set up earlier because Gus tries to tell this story, you know, an hour ago yeah. in the movie. And he dismisses in it. such, yeah, in such a way that, you know, that's coming back. So it's kind of like, yeah. 
I don't know. It's where you see the writer's hand. I feel like with that, where it's like, yeah. oh, that's gonna that's Chekhov Zen Master is going to eventually show up. <laughs> well, so it, uh, it, it is a kind of yeah, soul can he touch to do that? But, yeah, yeah. You know. and it's just that whole writer's tool of telegraphing that to to know there's going to be a callback, and you know, it's one of those things. I, I guess it doesn't bug me too much, but yeah, did we need to have it earlier? Could he just have, have just, saved yeah. it for this particular moment? I mean, I it think just it feels works. like I a like weird the point. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Me too. Uh, we see the ceremony again. We are we are back at the beginning, where in the in the distance we can see it says Charlie did it, which apparently was a quote from um, some of the Mujahideen when they talked about who won the war. Um, there would be you know some disagreement about whether or not it was true because obviously Ronald Reagan was the one signing off on this, but Ronald Reagan was a you know senile old man. He didn't know what was happening. He gets it, and for the context of this. I mean, I haven't read the book it's based on, but for the context of this movie, I think Ronald Reagan's name is mentioned once. You know, this is a, if this is a covert operation, yeah, sure, it should lie, responsibility should lie at the top, but that means, covert operation means you're relying on other entities to do these things, so. Well, and I think, yeah, because Reagan, I think, even if he did have to just sign off on a kind of a budget increase or something like that, in order to, again, keep it a cold war and not a war war has to maintain that this was something that he wasn't you know kind of directly right. pushing for um or yeah you know, or talking about i think some of the people who worked with charlie wilson over the years and who were on the committee and stuff disputed exactly how much it was charlie wilson's war hmm. uh, but obviously that makes for a better film we can't have a film that's like all the guys on this subcommittee's war because it's not as <laughs> all the guys on this subcommittee's uh, war <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but, you know, once we've had the ceremony and he, you know, obviously uh, Tom Hanks looks extremely proud as Charlie Wilson getting this award from the, you know, uh, clandestine operations. Um, you know, he, we see him try to get more funding for some schools. He's like, you know, we want some funding for the rebuilding. You know, we've got to rebuild the schools before, as they say, the crazies come in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the crazies in this case <laughs> will end up being Al Qaeda. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we, we're kind of... We, we see that the, that they were willing to give 500 million to you know keep a war going but as soon as it comes to the rebuilding mm-hmm. they they don't even find money for a million you know they they don't care about a school and it's funny because they say we don't care about a school in pakistan and he's like afghanistan that's <laughs> like, i thought that was i thought that yeah. moment so you don't even know what you're arguing against like yeah. you don't even know what you're denying funding so for the the whatever um, trepidation i had about the setup of zen master and all that sort of stuff that moment of nobody cares about a school in pakistan afghanistan i thought was really well done and yeah. very honest and like oh and, yeah. and like just a really good short almost powerful encapsulation of what the problem is now right yeah right um and you know that is kind of where the film ends uh with basically things kind of left in the air the original script uh finished by directly tying this into the creation of the taliban and al-qaeda and the september 11 attacks and good the cut. Pentagon building they yeah they yeah. are i mean it's it, and it's it's not actual footage it was a scene between charlie and yeah. his really? wife yeah and they they actually are in their apartment in new york i think and uh they hear the attack and Hmm. that's kind of the way that the the story goes they're like what what Hmm. the heck just happened and uh and then it ends with his wife answering the phone and saying it's gust he says to turn on the tv 
and that was the end. Well, what, what I find is interesting is, well, first of all, for that scene to have happened, they would have had to like age Tom Hanks ten years, and it would have and suddenly introduce Mrs. Wilson, who we've not yeah, really it would, seen. Much well, this of. would have been, yeah. this would have been a new wife that he married in. 99. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, so it would like it just yeah, it wouldn't have it would have been a very awkward finish, but also at the same time like. I mean, I mean, it always reminds me. It's not, it's not a real thing that happened, obviously. But at the end of Rambo Three, you know, they're kind of <laughs> dedicating it to the brave fighters of the Mujahideen. Like, yeah. I mean, I would have found, I would have found it hilarious if at some point he'd have been watching Rambo Three on TV. Like that would have been, <laughs> uh, that would have been a fun nod to put in there. Um, yeah, but, that's good. But I, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I to me, like finishing with with the whole kind of thing of like them not wanting to fund the rebuilding efforts and we all know where that's going to head yeah. uh, you know it, it, it kind of makes charlie wilson look like he knows something when really he, in real life he didn't know like that was where it was going to end right. up like he didn't know that the, you know that was going to be the end result so he, how could he have ever known that like you know well most of the intelligence you know, yeah there's that quote so, that they have of him at the end uh, yeah, I was going to say yeah. The, we we end with the quote, but I, but it did where, make me wonder as as that quote popped up. Like, at what point did he say that? Like, is that something that he ended up saying after? Uh, well, I, I guess it, yeah, it, like after September 11th, or or where? Like, where did that quote fall? And it's like not dated, so we don't know. Did that come like no. right after that meeting where they wouldn't give the money to the schools? I doubt it. It seems like something that he mm-hmm. would have been able to say much later as he was reflecting in a way i think it's a cheat to put that quote at the end where he's like you know we did really well in terms of like the war but then we fucked up the end game and it's like yeah like you say there is like it just says charlie wilson and, and i think as an audience we're all meant to go oh you yeah. know like he was you know, see, the, see the future yeah, but right i don't know if i call didn't. it a, i don't know if i would necessarily I'll, I'll dispute the idea of it being a cheat because i kind of see what you're saying where like i doubt he said that in 1989 right but we are the entire enterprise of this story is looking at those events from the perspective of 2006 or whatever. So even if Charlie is looking back at his work, he's going to put it in historic context too. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go with it because whether he recognized I, I, it in the moment, whether he recognized sure. it in yeah. the moment or later, it still doesn't change what happened. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I th- I think it would have. I mean, I think if we'd have had like a date, or if we'd have had something that summed up what happened after that, you know, if we'd have had a, uh, I, I don't know, like a ending where it's like Charlie Wilson was elected for four more terms, and you know, yeah. Joe, like if we'd have had a, if we'd have had a like a what did they do next mm. type thing, and then we got the quote from Charlie Wilson, which is clearly then at a later date. Yeah. Then I think that, but, it, but the way it ends, it makes it say, it makes it seem like he got reelected in eighty eight, and then was telling everybody we've completely messed up in Afghanistan, and it's going to lead to something that. terrible in thirteen years' time. You know, like if we'd have been given clarification on what happened after, you know, the kind of the the, the kind of committee decided not to fund stuff. Obviously, as people living in two thousand seven <laughs> or two thousand eight or even you know two thousand twenty two, we know what happened. Yeah. But the weird kind of implicit, like you know, oh yeah, this this clearly went wrong after this success, you know. And the, they talk about you know they can't be bothered to fund stuff in in Afghanistan because, you know, the entire like of of Eastern Europe is now you know all of those they're having their revolutions mm-hmm. and all the the walls falling and everything. So you know, and the USSR is about to collapse itself. So it's like there's other concerns that they have. Although technically speaking, I would think like if the USSR has collapsed and all the Eastern European countries are now free. 
surely you can stop worrying about that and start to worry about Afghanistan. Right. But, you know, they're, 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 you know they're, they're, their focus is somewhere else. But yeah, the, the ending is a bit weird in that like it tries to say to a 2000 and, you know, 2007, 2008 audience, you know, it kind of winks at them as if to say, yeah, you know, Charlie Wilson knew well, I almost, what was going to happen. Well, I, I, yeah, I would almost say it's like the weirdest part for me was that the, I remember watching the movie and enjoying it. And the ending that I took was that last committee meeting yeah. of trying to get funding exactly. for schools. I was shocked in rewatching it that then it ends with the medal ceremony and applause. You know, the medal, like, ceremony, the medal like, ceremony huh? feels just like such an awful element to have added for the bookends. Yes. Like, why do we need that? It just is, it doesn't lend to the story at all. I don't know, like, I go back and forth on, does the film end in a way, I mean, I get it. I know what they're saying with the ending. Did we need to then have a scene where, you know, the Pentagon has been attacked yeah. and, and, you know, he's getting the phone call from Gust? Would that have helped? Or is it fine the way they do it? I, I don't know. I, re- I remember, I don't know, I, I don't know either, uh, but speaking for myself, I remember clearly watching the movie and that was this part of the reason why i signed up for this episode uh was i remember connecting the dots yeah you know like the where where it ended i was like ah like it was right there you got you know like even if i am being manipulated by by uh you know time you know quotes being at certain times or whatever i remember especially that committee that last committee meeting being like Boy, we suck at this, <laughs> and we're yeah. just right there. Yeah, I, 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 there, I, there was a there was a critic who I think it was a critic or no, it was a, an author who wrote a book who said that the film gave up the chance to produce what at least had the potential to be the Doctor Strange love of our generation. Yeah. Eh, hmm. Maybe the 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 thing is, I I don't know if just the ending, the way that it would have ended, would have given it that. I feel like. There, there would need to have been a little more kind of oomph throughout the film. Sure. Not just, not just that ending. Um, so, uh, but it's an interesting element to look at that. And I know Tom Hanks was largely the reason, especially as one of the producers of the film, he wasn't comfortable dealing with September 11th. And I don't know if that was just, um, you know, it was too soon or if it was because he didn't want to kind of, I, like, I don't know, didn't want the age makeup, who knows. Mm-hmm. I just, but I, I feel like, there was something there that, like, as a whole, the film was close to, like, really doing something to kind of say something about all this. And I feel like the way that it ends up getting packaged, it gets close and it has that message at the end. But it never quite is giving me, uh, you know, enough to kind of to really uh, kind of say something more It's also important. not saying it throughout. No, exactly. maybe that's, that's part of no, it. Yeah, is right. that I, yeah. like I say, my memory of this, a lot of it is from that final scene, and you know, it is kind of curious to not have like it's almost like, and this maybe puts too much virtue into the Charlie character, but it would have been maybe something to mention building schools more often throughout. You know, like not only are we yeah. going to save this, war, we're going to win this war, but we're also like this is a major. Point. And I'm like, I don't know if anybody was really thinking that. And it seems kind of overly virtuous of him at that time, back in 1983, to be thinking of that. But it's almost like in order to have landed that in that way that you're talking about, Andy, you would have had to have had it be a through line. Yeah, and it just there, are, isn't. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. There are references throughout where people say, oh, they've got no roads, you know, they don't True. know. Like, somebody could live their entire life in one village and not know about anybody in the village three miles down the road because there is no road for them to go down, so they can't leave their village. But it's not But it's so, not packaged in such a way that says, if they oh, were no, provided a, infrastructure and, yeah. and these things, then maybe, you know, then we really build an ally here, guys, you know? And, no, it's, it's, uh, it's mostly about the difficulty of killing people yes. because there's no infrastructure to do it with right. so um but yeah i mean i again like i think maybe like a, a kind of update on what happened afterwards because you know you know charlie wilson was re-elected like another six or seven times like he was in congress mm-hmm. for like way you know way into the clinton administration like you know so it would be interesting to and the same with um you know joanne herring you know she was campaigning for years after this you know and like i said you know they don't even mention really they don't go into it the fact that Ampuri's character is killed before the end of the film like stuff like that would have been handy to mention because you know interestingly you know the the you know zia was the long to this day has been the longest reigning president of pakistan Mm. and since he died you know the country was kind of thrown into turmoil because people just keep having coups and someone gets elected and then they have a coup and so like it would have been interesting to give us a bit more kind of like you know a political context as to what happened with him and you know but we just end with this quote and then that's the end of the film um you know so uh, it did well at the very you know obviously you release yourself in december 2007 so you can get yourself nominated for stuff and it did fairly well in that regard it was nominated for um best motion picture musical or comedy at the golden globes um i to be honest with you this seems really more like a golden globey film than a oscar film if i'm honest like it is the kind of sure. film where they like to nominate stuff it's got, lots of, they nominated... it's got lots of stars lots of pedigree yeah, yeah lots exactly. of musical but, parts know, so many it's kind of crazy actually we we skipped over most of the songs that were in this um yeah the yeah musical or comedy just it's such a like what's i mean uh, i know there's comedic elements but it's about you know the slaughter of the afghani people like it's, that is the worst thing about the golden globes is their yeah. their inability to define that category and, and or between the two categories like it's nonsense and I, I, my favorite thing yeah. completely unrelated to this but is when matt damon the following year after he won best actor in a comedy for the Martian um, is joking about that as he's getting ready to yeah. present the mm-hmm. next award. It's like, yeah, what, that's, uh, it's just nonsense. Just such nonsense. <laughs> because they like famous people to turn up. That's Obviously the Golden it. Globes yeah. nominated Tom. They nominated Philip. They nominated Julia. All of them got nominations in their various categories. And obviously Aaron Sorkin got a nomination for best screenplay. None of them won any of that. Um, you know, there was also uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was also nominated for Chicago Films Critics Association for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, and and, and, and the Oscar nomination for it too. Yeah, which he got the Oscar nomination and the BAFTA nomination. That's the one so. like of the performances that it's like, well, yeah, absolutely. Like it makes sense that yeah. he would be getting nominated um, because his character is such an interesting, caustic personality. I just, I, mm-hmm. it's it's so uh, enjoyable to kind of watch him. Uh, chewing up scenes he was nominated you know for a, a few a few other um you know uh, best supporting actor um nominations in by various people he did win the saint jordi awards uh for best foreign actor, so, <laughs> which is uh which he was also nominated for before the devil knows you dead and the, St- the savages it was like a triple nomination so uh you know he won something for this at least um the washington dc area film critics association of course gave best adapted screenplay to aaron sorkin um and uh, the world soundtrack academy i've never heard of them but they did give james newton howard 
the nomination for Composer of the Year, which he also was nominated for Michael Clayton and I Am Legend. And I will say, Michael, like his track, yeah. uh, I think it's called Turning the Tide on the soundtrack. Um, that's the one yeah. where it's kind of like all the the, the singing and, and stuff that's going along with all the montages and everything. Uh, yeah. That's a fantastic track. I just mm. love the the music there. It, it um, uh, I, I think that, yeah. uh, J- I mean, James Newton Howard's, you know, already a great composer. And I think right. that, uh, you know, there's reason that he got nominated for that. <laughs> Yeah, and also Michael Clayton's a great film. Ah, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's a good good year for film. Yeah, uh, two thousand. Yeah, I was I was doing a quick look of like, oh yeah, what were the big movies? It was like, oh, it's only There Will Be Blood and No Country for <laughs> yeah, Old exactly. Men. And I'm like, oh yeah, not quite in that. Yeah. I don't know if I put it in those categories. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's why I say this feels like more of a Golden Globe film than like an Oscar film yeah, because yeah, yeah. the yeah. Oscars were a lot stiffer that year than uh, than the Golden Globes. Um, but yeah, so I feel like we can, uh, you know, uh, put a, an end to this war and uh, announce our. Uh, <laughs> now we re- now our, we'll rebuild our VCRs that have yeah, gotten messed yeah. up. <laughs> our ratings, obviously, there are only two. They are T Hanks or No T Hanks. Um, so I'm going to start with Philip. Uh, how are you feeling on this T Hanks? Um, no I, I I was wavering a little bit. Um, I think I'm going to go T Hanks. Um, uh, I. I do enjoy this, although I think there's a couple, you know, like wonky parts we talked about. Um, it, in hindsight, it kind of feels like an updated, weird, like amalgamation of Schindler's List, where you take, you know, this cad boozy womanizer guy in the center of like a conflict, and then he just kind of like, then he gets a bunch of money and and tries to figure it out, and you know, he he saves some people, sort of, but. You know, uh, but I, I do, even though I feel like some of the script is overcooked, it's still good, even though it's, you know, like I'm going T Hanks. Yeah, I'm there too, uh, for a lot of the same reasons. I mean, it's, it's just, I, I love watching all three of these main actors kind of on screen together. They are just all doing such great work. It's not the greatest Mike Nichols film. It's not the greatest Aaron Sorkin script. Um, but, uh, you know, in context of what it is, I think it's, it's very interesting. If anything, I'd say it's, it's an interesting film to kind of not necessarily give you a strong history lesson, but at least to open the doors to wanting to learn more about yeah. stuff. I think that it could have been so much more. But I think what, for what it is, it still is a, it's a T. Hanks for me. You can't say it's bad. No, no. You know? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like I said, I saw this at the cinema and then today was only the second time that I've ever watched it. And I, you know, I think it's probably going to be another 14 or so years before I watch it again. And that's not to say it's not a, it's not an O.T. Hanks. Obviously, it's a T. Hanks. I think, you know, Tom gives a great performance and uh, I'm not usually a fan of Julia Roberts, um, you know, but I think she was pretty good in this role. Again, she's playing it a lot younger than the person was in real life, you know, I, so... I, I think that's one of the things that helps the character because, you know, obviously Julia Roberts is, you know, radiant. So, you know, like it makes it a bit more believable that she would be able to kind of, you know, kind of get people to do stuff for her. And obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman is wonderful. He deserved the nomination. I can't remember. I'm, I'm sure there will be blood or, or you know, no country probably won the Oscar. But uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, Javier Bardem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've got. Yeah. I mean, this is a great performance, but it's not great. It's not better than Javier Bardem no, <laughs> in that particular, you know. So Especially he obviously picked moment. a poor year to, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, such a that's an iconic performance. This is just a really good performance, um, but yeah, of you know, and 
obviously Tom enjoyed working with Julia so much that they decided to reunite uh, later in the decade. Uh, so obviously I'll have to talk about that at some point as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's in, I mean, it, again, it's not my favorite Mike Nichols film. And I, I, I wouldn't even say like in the 2000s, I don't think it's even my favorite like Tom Hanks film. Or Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's not even my favourite Philip Seymour Hoffman film of the year 2007. So, <laughs> yeah, um, right. you know, like, I think, and even Amy Adams. Amy Adams did better work in the same year. It, so, it like, feels like there's, that's almost just the, the what do you say, the, the problem with the wealth of talent. You know, that it's like, yeah. yeah, this isn't even in the top 10, but it's still really good because they're just, they're capable of so much stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, if, if somebody was like, you know, I've got like two hours, should I watch Charlie Wilson's War? I'd be like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I guess if you <laughs> if you want to see Philip Seymour Hoffman and Tom Hanks kind of lighting the screen up together, then, yeah. you know, this is the only chance you're going to get. And it's worth watching for that. Definitely. Absolutely. So, um, but uh, let's go to uh, plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug? I'm going to start with Andy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you can check out the, uh, you know, I brought up Marvel a few times. Uh, you know, right now I'm working on uh, season four of Marvel Movie Minute. We're breaking down the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. And we're currently talking about Thor. And uh, then also the next real film podcast. That's another. So between those two podcasts, uh, I have plenty of conversations about movies that uh, people can tune in for. And Philip, is there anything that you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Philip Mottas, Um and you can hear me talk about uh, writing and stuff because I have a book that's out, uh, a mystery novel called "The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel Air," which is almost as long a title as the book that this movie was based on. <laughs> um, it is a uh, it's a murder mystery about a uh, hairstylist who has secret psychic abilities, um, and she normally sees into her. Uh, customers' minds and gets the hairstyle they want, but then one day she touches the head uh, and gets the vision from a new customer and she sees a murdered body. So uh, if you Google, because my name is hard to say, if you Google murderous haircut Philip, you will probably find me. <laughs> uh, yes. And you can find us at the extremely awkward Twitter handle, T underscore FT memory. Thanks to both of you for being my returning guests once more here. Absolutely. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I think Charlie Wilson was a, he was a fairly great guy. But the next time we're going to be discussing The Great Book. Hand. <laughs>